The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a drive to deep right, away back, UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show, an in-depth look at the Cincinnati Reds and the Cleveland Indians. For the fifth consecutive year, we examine the teams and their progress throughout the baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Can it really be true? Can it really be so? Are the Cleveland Indians actually in a pennant race? It's hard to believe, but after five in a row, five of their last eight, eight of their last ten, the Indians now are in a pennant race. They're five games behind in the wild card, and things seem to be coming around for the Cleveland Indians. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. And along with Mark Donahue, we're going to talk about the Indians and the Cincinnati Reds tonight. And we're going to get to the big story here in a second, but we've got to go down south and talk to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue, right now. And Mark, last week, it did not appear that this could be true, but now, as we are in the last day of August, there are 33 days left to go in the regular baseball season. The Indians appear to be in a pennant race. And you know what is really going to be amazing, Dave, uh, given your support of the, of the Indians' front office, if the Indians come back and win this, Shapiro could win executive of the year. No. Yes. No, absolutely not. He absolutely no. could. He could win executive of the year for what he did to build the Indians into a, a World Series winner. They came out of nowhere. I can see the headlines now. They came out of nowhere in late August and September, led by Shapiro, and this guy deserves to be executive of the year. Absolutely not. Chris Antonetti would get it, but let me just give an update. The Indians went into the top of the seventh against the Toronto Blue Jays, whom I consider to be the best team in baseball right now, and David Price, who has got an 0.42 ERA against the Indians this year. The Indians were down 2-1. to one. Jan Gomes just got a double with Santana on first. Santana came around to score, and with one out in the seventh inning, the Indians have tied things up at 2-2. Two, two. So it continues to go along. And, Mark, you have segued beautifully right into my next segment. The following is a special sports presentation. And that is not, not it. Let me get into this one. Yes, happy days are here again, Mark. Mark Shapiro is going north of the border. He is taking the route of Donald Trump and heading across into Canadian waters. He's going to take on that Canadian health care system and try to make the Toronto Blue Jays a worse team now than what they are. He is going to be the new president of the Toronto Blue Jays. I see bright things on the horizon for the Rogers Center next year, Mark. They've already got the hotel. He could put up a bar near the hotel in the Rogers Center. He could call it the rooftop. And then he could put a playpen next to the bar. Call it the birdcage. I'll tell you, Mark, people could go to the Rogers Center from now on and just have a holiday at the Rogers Center. They could go get drunk, leave their kids there, stay in the hotel. All they need now is some sort of a pool like Arizona has in their stadium, and everybody would be happy at the Rogers Center. They don't need a winning baseball team. They've got Mark Shapiro to bring in the ambiance of a family atmosphere in Toronto. Dave, I'm telling you, <laughs> you, are, you are setting yourself up for something very disastrous. And that would be that the Indians come back and get into the playoffs and Shapiro is deemed a hero. I'm telling you, Dave, it can happen. If Donald Mark, there Trump- was so much going on yesterday on Twitter. Thankful that this guy is leaving the team. Thankful that he is finally... This No longer are his little 
rants, I guess you could call them, that uh, are going to work in Toronto. They're not going to work, Mark. They've got a $135 million payroll in Toronto, which is more than double what the Indians have. He's not going to be able to go to Toronto and say, we can't sign high-priced free agents. Can you imagine him, Mark, this winter, trying to explain to the fans of Toronto why they can't sign David Price? Well, maybe they can't afford him. They're going it's to have to. They can't afford him. They they will have to. You know, I mean, yeah. I I, I just got a tweet in here now. If Shapiro's so good, why is he going to a team where it, the game of baseball is not even their national pastime? Well, uh, David, I'm just as your friend, as your co-host, co-host here for five years. I do want to set you up for a. Horrible amount of disappointment if Shapiro uh, is deemed a genius and you have been ranting against him for low these five years or however long it's been. Uh, this will not this will not look good on your resume, David. That's all I'm saying. Well, I don't think that's a problem because I think Mark Shapiro. First of all, Mark Shapiro was their third choice. They actually wanted Dan Duquette out of Baltimore. Baltimore wouldn't give them permission to interview him. Then they wanted Dave Dombrowski, but they did that the night before he already had a handshake agreement with the Boston Red Sox. And then they came knocking at the Indians' door. Joe Koblitz of Burning River Baseball is going to be our guest here in about 15, 20 minutes. We're going to talk to him and get his impressions about what Shapiro is going to mean to the Toronto Blue Jays. But Chris Antonetti, the GM, and to be honest, Mark, I would not be surprised to see Antonetti named the president of the organization. But the owner, Paul Dolan, said that the team has no plans right now to replace Shapiro as president of the team. And Antonetti said that with that in mind, they are happy with the group that they have to handle the baseball side without Shapiro. I feel great about the group we have. I think our leadership structure in place and, um, you know, as well as my growth within the position and, and all that Tito and, and the staff have brought to complement our group, I think has been a, uh, has been great for us. And, you know, as we move forward, if we determine that there are places where we can improve our operations, we'll, we'll certainly look to do that. And if we think there are additional voices or perspectives that may, we may benefit from, we'll, um, you know, we'll explore them then. But as I sit here today, there are not any immediate plans for any immediate personnel to, to add the baseball side. And, Mark, as that happens, Jerry Sands just got a base hit to left field, driving home Ryan Rayburn. And in the seventh inning, the Indians now lead the Toronto Blue Jays 3-2. to two. David, this is looking bad for you. That's all I can say. <laughs> this is looking this is, real bad. Uh, I'll tell you, Mark, two, three weeks ago, I could have never thought that the Indians would be in a pennant race. Never. You know, we talked about this about six weeks ago, and, and I said at the time, that the Indians were only four games out of the wild card. And I, I did not get any encouragement from you that that meant that they were in contention. And I reminded you of the White Sox, what is it, six or seven years ago, they were three games out of the all-star break and decided to pack it in. They weren't going to win. With this second wild card and so many teams playing each other, it's not hard to gain if you – the Indians have won five in a row. It looks like they could have a chance to win their sixth in a row. Uh, it will be nine out of 11. You, you know, you carry that into September. You, you win another 10 or 12 of the next 14 games, and you're right there. And I think they, their biggest competition is Minnesota, and they probably, what, have five or six games left with the Twins. Uh, they actually have seven games left with the Twins. They've got seven games left with the Royals, the Tigers, and the White Sox. They've got three games at the end of the year against the Red Sox, and they've got two left with Toronto tomorrow and Wednesday in the Rogers Center. Now, this is something, Mark, that we have to keep in mind. If the team that they're chasing right now is Texas, but the team that is right behind Texas is Minnesota, now, that's why I'm getting so excited about this, because the team that they actually have to catch is Minnesota to get right behind Texas, and they've got seven games left with those guys. They don't have any games left with the Angels. They have no games left with the Rangers. But 
they have disposed both of those teams this year. And if for some miracle would happen that they would get into the playoffs, they would face the Yankees. Now, before anybody says, oh, my God, they're going to face the Yankees in a playoff game, Mark, they played the Yankees seven times this year and won five. So and the Yankees, this is not impossible. No, it's not impossible. And the Yankees don't have that that ace. They don't have a, a Clayton Kershaw uh, or a pitcher of that ilk that you know you have to fear going into a one game playoff. So you know you know it's not far fetched. Uh, I didn't think it was far fetched six weeks ago, and it's certainly not far fetched now. And you know the, the Indians are playing the, the ace in the hole of this whole thing is the Indians are playing good ball. And maybe their best ball is going to be between, between now and the end of the year. And if it is, uh, you know, you might be in the playoffs by, by September 30th. Well, on the other side of the coin, we've got the Reds. They're 53-76. and 76. They are in last place, 30 and a half games behind St. Louis. Mark, you made the comment last week, this is the worst Reds team that you have seen possibly ever. I I have to agree with you that this that may be the case and when the manager puts <clears throat> Jay Bruce in the leadoff spot at one of the games this weekend I got to kind of wonder what's going on there. Well you know I think this is all you can synthesize the condition of the Reds organization Today they brought up uh, a young man named Duvall. They got in the trade with, uh, I think, San Francisco. Power-hitting young man. He hit 30 home runs in the minor leagues. At AAA this year, he's hitting 168. They brought him up. They have uh, Kyle Waltrip, uh, who's hitting under 200. They're going to bring him up tomorrow. These are their two best position players at AAA. Two best. And they're hitting under 200. Now, if anything describes the state of the team or the state of the organization, it's that. Uh, what's frightening is the fact that even the owner, Bob Castellini, made some comment last year or uh, last week about 2016. And he acknowledges that it's going to be a difficult year. Uh, yeah. It's going to be difficult. Uh, tonight, the Reds set a team record by starting a starting pitcher being a rookie in 78 games. So 78 of the games this year, roughly half the season so far, has been started by a rookie pitcher. Now, the good news about that would be if you can say, wow, can't wait to next year because those rookie pitchers are really doing well. They're not. Uh, they're getting pounded, as a matter of fact. And the only one who has done well uh, is Rocio Iglesias. And uh, Di Scalfani has done reasonably well, even though he's got a, uh, a high three ERA and he has a losing record. He's pitched well. But aside from those two guys, uh, I, I see nothing in the Reds' um, burgeoning rookie rotation that gives me any hope for next year, unlike the Indians. Indians got some great pitching on the 40-man roster and also some good pitching at uh, A AA and AAA. Well, let, let's hope it continues. Like I said, if you get the Indians in a short series with their pitching, it is not out of the realm of possibility that they could be extremely dangerous. It's like the Mets, Mark. The Mets have got outstanding starting pitching also. And you get the Mets in a short series, you're, you're going to have a heck of a time with that pitching staff. And I, I think the same way with the Indians. It, it's not so much that they – the Indians right now, the difference between this Indians team and the teams in 97 and the teams that were winning in the 90s is that this pitching staff obviously, I believe, is better, but they've got the ace in Corey Kluber. They've got that guy. They've got the guy that can go up against a David Price. They've got the guy that can go up against a Johnny Cueto for Kansas City. They've got a guy that can go up against a, a whoever Houston is going to throw because it looks like Houston, actually, Mark, is going to win that Western Division. Yeah, and, and rather easily, I would think. I mean, that's a tough team. And look where they were two or three years ago. 
Yeah, I mean, right down in the dumps. Same way as the Cubs. And let's talk about, well, we'll get into the Cubs here after we talk with our guest Joe Koblitz, who's coming up here in just a little bit. But, you know, you, you ribbed me a little bit about Shapiro possibly being the executive of the year. Let's go back and let's talk about two moves that I wanted the Indians to make. One as early as a year ago, and now this year. One was moving Lonnie Chisenhall to the outfield. I always thought Lonnie Chisenhall was thinking too much at third base, and and if you remember I told you, I thought he had an outstanding arm. It was erratic at third base, but in the outfield it would be perfect. And Chisenhall has moved to right field, Mark, and since the Indians have brought him back up from the minors playing right field, he's played an excellent right field. He's gunned people out with that arm that he has, and he's hitting over 400 since he's come back from the minor leagues. He looks like a totally different ball player and extremely relaxed at the plate playing right field. It's almost hard to believe he's the same player. Well, you know, he always had that sweet swing. I always liked his... He had, like, easy power. You know, he wasn't up there trying to swing as hard as he can. He just had a nice level swing, and I, I was really surprised... When I saw him come up two or three years ago, I thought he was going to be the man. I mean, I thought he had that kind of uh, that potential. And sometimes it just takes some guys longer than others. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that he's back up. They found a spot for him. And, you know, if you can hit, Dave, they're going to find a spot for you. Absolutely. And, and that's what he's doing right now. Now, the second move, and you ribbed me a lot about this, was Francisco Lindor. And this kid has come up, Mark. He's got... In in 70 games, Lindor has got more hits than any other rookie in baseball this year. In 70 games. And we've played, what, 130? Mm-hmm. And in 70 games, he's got more hits. He has participated in, in uh, a third more double plays than any other shortstop in baseball. He's committed only five errors in those 70 games which would compute out to about 10 errors, which is pretty good for a shortstop. And he has done the job both in the field, off the field, and he's brought he and Urshela have brought a new life to this team, Mark. They have actually this team and I want to I want to talk with our guests coming up here in a little bit. They've got chemistry now where they had no identity through July in August when they got rid of the dead weight that I call it in Swisher and Bourne, and Bourne was the guy I really wanted to get rid of. Swisher was the guy that you always wanted to get rid of. But when they got rid of those two guys, this team seemed to pick up some chemistry, and the two young players in Urshela and Lindor came in, along with Chisenhall, and this Abraham Almonte, whom I made fun of, the night that the Indians got him for Zipchinski from the San Diego Padres, this guy's hitting 275, playing excellent center field. This team, Mark, has gone from a team that was terrible defensively to a team that is pretty doggone good defensively, just with those moves. Yeah, and I think uh, the president of the club has a lot to do with that. Don't you, Dave? No, no, <laughs> not at all. He, he had something to do with the corner bar in which you buy a ticket, the first drink is on the Indians, which... Prior to July, prior to August 1st, you needed a drink to go watch this team play. And and now the Indians are in a spot where they've got a chance to to get into the playoffs. Danny Salazar is pitching here in the seventh inning. There's two outs. The Indians are up 3-2. to two, And Salazar is doing an outstanding job for the Indians tonight. But getting back to Lindor, Mark. He's got to be the leading candidate for Rookie of the Year. I told you they should have brought him up early, David. (laughs) Well, they finally did, and it's turned out to be pretty good. What about Joey Votto? Joey Votto for the Reds, Mark, since the All-Star break, has just been on fire. I I told you earlier today that all all the years I've watched baseball, I don't remember a hitter being this hot this long. And I don't mean just hitting home runs or batting average. It's everything. His on-base percentage 
is something like 5.30. 5.30 the second half of the year. His batting average is close to 400. They can't, they can't get him out. And th- th- this theory that Joey Votto is not doing his team good or doing as, as good as he can do because he's not swinging at bad pitches is so stupid. I, I don't understand that mentality. He gets on base half the time. Now, what they don't have is somebody who could protect him even more. Pitchers with two out in an inning, with two outs, and nobody on base, they're walking Joey Votto on four or five pitches because they don't want to pitch to him. He's going to hit this year. He's going to have close to 30 home runs, probably drive in close to 85 runs. He's going to hit maybe 315, 320 if he keeps going like this. And it's it's really comical. He gets on base three or four times every game. And anybody who can complain about that just doesn't understand baseball. Oh, yeah, just to give you an idea, since the All-Star break, Votto has been walked 55 times. Like you said, Mark, his on-base percentage is close to 600. It's 571. <laughs> and he's leading the National League in hitting at 391. I mean, these are numbers that we haven't seen since, I mean, maybe Barry Bonds, but more than likely uh, uh, Tony Gwynn. Yeah, the year Tony Gwynn hit 90, you know, you might be able to say that was uh, something similar. Or when Barry Bonds hit 72 home runs, uh, people were afraid to pitch to him. But what Joey Votto is doing now is is really off the uh, off the charts. Well, now since the Indians are leading going into the eighth inning, 3-2 to two over the Toronto Blue Jays, it gives us an opportunity to bring in our guest tonight from BurningRiverBaseball.com, one of their writers, Joe Koblitz. Joe, this is Dave Mitchell, Mark Donahue alongside. Good evening. How are you tonight? Thanks for joining us on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Hello. I'm, I'm doing all right. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you just fine. Is that you crying in the background, or is that a little one? <laughs> no, I, I just got. I went outside real quick. So I <laughs> That's all right. Both Mark and I know what it's like to bring up little ones. Again, all Joe, right. thanks for joining us tonight. Well, yeah, sure I'll tell thanks. you what. Let's let's talk about the Mark Shapiro deal first of all. Any surprise there that Shapiro, after 24 years, is leaving the team? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I. To me, when you build something, you want to see it through to the end. When I build something, I want to see it through to the end. You know, you don't want to build it up and then just kind of leave. He's, he's been here for 24 years. You know, to to just work on that and, and being the GM and the president and uh, you know, the team right now, I think, is close to a World Series contention. Maybe not this year, but you know, within the next two years. And to jump away from that, that that definitely surprises me on a personal level. Hey, Joe, this is Mark Donahue. I'm just curious, from your perspective, I I, I agree with your point. Do you think that Shapiro misread this team this year and maybe bailed a bit too early? I I don't know. I think the position he's going to is a bigger market. Just being in the AL East makes it a little bigger. And I think eventually he wants to have a lot more power like uh, when the, Rob Manfred became the commissioner, uh, Shapiro was considered as a dark horse to the commissioner's job, and I think maybe that might be his ultimate goal. And just being the president of the Cleveland Indians is not going to get him there. So I think well, even I think that was ultimately his motivation. Well, as Mark and I were talking about earlier on tonight's show, Joe, um, Twitter was a buzz yesterday afternoon when the. News came out that Shapiro was taking the job. You know, Shapiro may have a good reputation around Major League Baseball, but around the fans in Cleveland, he really doesn't have that great a reputation. So they're not upset at all about him leaving, are they? No, and I'm not really upset about it either. I think the president has very little to do with the actual on the baseball field game. Uh, I think he did a good job with the renovations in the, you know, in the stadium. Some people disagree with that as well. Uh, but, no, I, I think in general the fans have no clue what's going on with most things behind the scenes. So, of course, they hate him because he hasn't won a World Series. What do you see this having to do with now, I know what they say, but what do you see 
with this having to do with Chris Antonetti and his position with the Indians, and especially Terry Francona as manager of the Indians? I I believe them on this kind of. I, I generally am distrustful of what the Indians front office says, but I do think that Antonetti wants to be the GM because the GM controls the draft, he controls signing free agents, you know, roster moves. I think that's what Antonetti is good at, and that's what he wants to continue to do. Uh, I also think that Terry Francona does like managing the team. I think if he didn't like managing the team, then he would use this as now. But because I think he does like to be here, I think he may still stay. I mean, he signed through 2018. That's a, He's got a good deal. There's no reason for him to leave right now. Do you expect Antonetti to maybe take over some more power, maybe take over some of the, the president's responsibilities? And do you expect the Indians at the end of the year, after Shapiro leaves, that they will actually name a president. That's an interesting thing. Paul Dolan is going to be the sitting president right now, and he was the president before Shapiro was. I don't know if people didn't really remember that, but he became the president in 2004 and held it until Shapiro took the job. So, I mean, that, to leave Dolan there isn't crazy. I, I think they'll name Antonetti president of baseball operations. You know, and go that like at the highest level he could be on the side of he's on, but I don't know that he'll take over the business part at any time. Our guest tonight, Joe Koblitz from BurningRiverBaseball.com. He's a writer for them. Joe, let's move on to the field now with this team, and they have all of a sudden got themselves into the chase for the wild card since they got rid of what I called earlier tonight some of the dead weight. Uh, this team seems to have some chemistry now. Yeah, we've been using that phrase all season. Uh, I know, you know, another one of my writers, Kevin Bell, specifically wrote an article getting rid of the dead weight, you know, before they did it, just saying, outlining which players needed to go. And, uh, you know, like, I think they did exactly what they needed to do. They didn't, they didn't do enough. I think they should have uh, dumped Rayburn and Avilas, you know, well, there's more questions there. But but I would have liked to see them dump them, maybe Gary Sands even, and really focus on the young players going up. Uh, I mean, you said that they're back in the wild card race. They're kind of back in the wild card race. But it, I, it's still a better idea to shoot for 2016 at this point. Hey, Joe, I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan. Uh, to me, the Indians are really in, in the wild card race. <laughs> it's, it's all Good comeback, Joe. <laughs> I, I kind of like the Reds. I don't know. I, I go to a few Reds games. You know, I mean, when you when you look at this Indians team, though, Joe, when we talk about the chemistry and talk about the wild card chase, I think the reason that I think they're back in the chase is the team that they've got to beat in order to get next to Texas right now is Minnesota. They've got seven games left with those guys. Yeah, I'm not worried about Minnesota, and I'm not worried about Tampa, who they passed yesterday, and I'm not worried about you know the, the other teams. I'm not even worried about Los Angeles particularly. I'm worried about Texas. Texas is way up there. They're probably going to win 86 or more games. The Indians, to do that, they're going to have to win 20-plus 20 out of their last 30. It's going to be pretty tough to, to compete at that level. Now, I mean, obviously Texas could be terrible, and the Indians could. I mean, they're winning tonight. They won four in a row coming into tonight. They, they could win... 10, 15 in a row. You never know what's going to happen. But, uh, we'll, we'll, be better off, we'll be better have a better view of it in a week or two. Why do you think that this team, other than getting rid of the dead weight that we talked to, what has been the turnaround for this club? I, to me, well, there's, there's two different parts, and I don't know how deep you guys go into the statistics. Uh, do, you, do you do any advanced metric stuff generally or no? Nah, not not really, but I know what you're talking about, yes. Okay, I, first thing, like, the the whole thing with the bases loaded, and, and that's just like a symptom of the issue, where they had no, they, they never got a hit with the bases loaded. They were averaging below 200, you know, it was just really nasty numbers. And if you look deep into it, the batting average on balls in play with the bases loaded, and with, you know, with just runners in scoring position, was unsustainably low. Uh, batting average on balls in play is generally dictated by luck and a couple other things, but it's mostly luck when it comes down to it. And you can kind of use that to see how lucky or unlucky a team is. And it was so low that it didn't, it was like historically low. And then the last couple of days, all of a sudden they're hitting with runners on, 
in scoring position, runners bases, uh, hitting with bases loaded. And I think some of that is just the simple luck turning around. They've, they've had the pitching all year. The pitchers have played as well as they're supposed to play. You know, it's, it's pretty much been online. Uh, it's been that offense, and particularly just in specific situations. You know, and the second part of it is, again, back into kind of advanced stuff, uh, people don't like the term war now, I guess. They don't like the wins over a replacement player. But when that's really important is when you get a replacement player like Abraham Malmonte, and you re- use him to replace a guy who's worse than a replacement-level player like Michael Bourne. All of a sudden, you see, like, just the fact that he is league average, you know, he's so much better than Bourne offensively, offensively on the bases, everywhere, every part of the game. And just having a guy like that who could hit middle of the lineup instead of the ninth, that, that makes such a big difference in the offense, just to have those automatic outs out there. Yeah, we brought that up earlier that Almonte's hitting about 275 this year, where Michael Bourne, just looking at his stats with Atlanta, they've got him playing left field. He's hitting about 195 since he went over there. Talk about Francisco Lindor, and not only his play in the field, though, Joe, but the attitude that he's brought to this club. I, I love Lindor. I think he's the best shortstop I've seen, and oh, I'll give him at least since. 2004 was the last Omar year. Uh, it's been a long time since they've had someone like that on defense. Uh, he is—he's kind of a spark plug. He's funny, you know. He's, he's always goofing around. He was dressed up like a cheerleader last night. Uh, so you know, fun stuff. I, I personally think he may be a baseball idiot, though. Uh, just some of the like, I love him. I think he's the greatest player ever. But the the. The thing where he has to bunt every time there's a runner on in front of him and this less than two outs, it just, it confounds me. I, I mean, it's, it, you're a 300 hitter. That means you're going to get a hit 30% of the time. Why are you intentionally getting out 100% of the time? Like, this is, that bugs me so much and overshadows some of this greatness. Yeah, do you, do you attribute that to the way that Terry Francona is using him in the number two spot in the batting order? Terry Francona has said at least once that he has not told Lindor to bunt and that Lindor is doing it on his own. Now, to me, that's a weakness on Francona because why are you letting a rookie decide what your the base strategy is? You know, the strategy should be up to the manager, not up to some, you know, 21-year-old rookie who's played a few games in his career. You know, but I mean, that's, that's what he said at least. You know, two other players I want to bring up tonight, Joe, before we let you go, and, and our guest tonight is Joe Koblitz from BurningRiverBaseball.com. Joe, the other two players that I want to bring up are Giovanni Urshela and Lonnie Chisenhall. We got a look at Chisenhall over the previous three years, and it is not the same Lonnie Chisenhall we've seen over the last month. But it is. It's the exact same Lonnie Chisenhall. He's always done this thing where He'll play terribly for three months, and then he'll be really, really good for a month. And that month will make him think, oh, we want to keep him forever. He's a stutter again. <laughs> and then he'll come back and he'll be terrible again. I mean, he could finish out the year like this, and it still wouldn't give him a great season. And he did it last year where he had the first two months, he was amazing. And then the rest of the year, he was terrible, and brought his numbers down to very, you know, reasonable numbers. So I, I think this is Chisholm. I, I think he's a utility man in the future. I don't. I don't jump on. He just on. looks more relaxed to me, though, Joe. Playing right field, he looks more relaxed. There could be some of that. Although I, when he started this season, he was playing very good defense at third base, which is something you could never have said in any previous day, you know, before this year started. So I think in general he improved as a baseball player this year. You know, just all around. He looks okay in right field. I'm not going to jump at it because I prefer a good defensive outfield. That's been my problem with Michael Bourne in the outfield. Or not Michael Bourne, Michael Avilas, and Jerry Sands. All of them, all of them in the outfield, but not, they're not fast. <laughs> I mean, you have to have fast people in the outfield to catch the ball. Like that's, it, it's, it's simple to me, and yet they keep throwing out. Even uh, Michael Brantley is not the greatest outfielder ever. And they have Michael Brantley left and Michael Avilas in the center and Jerry Sands and Wright, it's pretty much the, the worst outfield in baseball defensively. You know, so well, before, yeah, go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say, but before we get into the last question, Joe, the Indians are shooting their last bullet. They're bringing in Cody Allen for a four-out save here tonight in the eighth inning with the Indians leading three to two. I think okay, I had another to step question. Out, so <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead, Joe. No, I said I had to step out, so I can't see the game right now. Ah, okay. Uh, last question. A lot of people think that this whole spurt that the Indians are on is a trap that the Dolans and Antonetti are going to think that this team isn't that far away and they'll do nothing in the winter to address the, the needs of this team. Are you one of those people, or what do you think? I don't even know what to think anymore. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, every, all the people right now that are saying, uh, and, and uh, Shapiro said it uh, today or yesterday, that people applauded the Swisher signing when it was made. I didn't. I hated the Swisher signing from the day before day one. Like, I, I've always been against it. It's out there. The records are on the website. Uh, the board one, I was a little, you know, in between on. I generally don't like free agent mm-hmm. signings. Uh, you know, signing a guy just to sign him. I'm sorry. Right, sorry. He's out in the middle of a highway now. Oh, yeah. Sorry about that. I, I lost you. Uh, yeah, signing a guy just for the sake of signing a, a name is generally always a bad, bad idea, and I don't want to see them do that. I hope that that's not what they're going to try to do this year, is spend $10 million on a guy for a one-year deal or, you know, even make a bigger mistake than that. Uh, I would like them to... I mean, they've been linked to Yasiel Puig and uh, Ozu, Marcelo Zuma of uh, Miami. If they could get one of those guys without giving up one of the top four starting pitchers, that would be a t- the type of move that I would prefer to see. Uh, bringing in a fast a defensive specialist, kind of an outfielder that can also hit. You know, someone like that, a young guy who's got years of team control, that's what they should be gunning for, not another veteran that's in their 30, you know, or, or 29 or 30 already and will be a free agent soon. That's, that's definitely not going to help them win, I don't think. Joe Koblitz has been our guest here tonight. Joe, what's your Twitter handle? It's at BRBBLOG. Burning River I'm Baseball t- Blog, BRB. Yes, I'm constantly getting into fights with people on there, so I will fight you <laughs> if you'd like. <laughs> All right, Joe, thanks for joining us tonight on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Joe. All right, thanks for having me on. <laughs> All right, Joe Koblitz, our guest here tonight from BurningRiverBaseball.com. Thanks to him for joining us here tonight. Mark, there's a guy in your corner. He hated the Nick Swisher signing, and so did you. Yeah, I didn't see that as a, a move that was going to help the Indians, and in the end it did not. Um, but I, I want to revert back to right before Joe came on. We were talking about Joey Votto, and something happened a few minutes ago I thought was rather interesting. The Cubs and the Reds are playing. It's right now 3-3 three to three in the uh, fifth inning. But in the top of the fifth inning, uh, the Reds had runners at first, and second, with two out, and they walked Joey Votto with runners in first and second with two out to get to, <laughs> to get to Brandon Phillips. A Barry Bonds move. Yeah, and he's been on base three times, two walks and a base hit. And, of course, what Brandon Phillips did, he got angry and hit a two-run single to put the Reds temporarily ahead, uh, three to one. It's now three to three in, in, the, in the bottom of the fifth, but... Uh, I repeat this, I have never seen statistics, particularly, it's, this goes back now to July, uh, where Joey Votto is hitting, what would you say, six, or his on-base percentage is 670? or something? 571. 571. That's insane. That's insane. You have major league pitchers afraid to pitch to this guy. And uh, he's still going to hit over 300 and drive in probably 75, 80 runs. It's, it's really a remarkable season, and it's too bad. He's, I, I bet he gets some MVP votes. But, uh, folks, if you're a Reds fan, I know it's hard to watch the Reds, but Joey Votto is worth a three-hour game on TV just to watch him hit four times. Mark, Joe Koblitz brought up a name that I have not heard affiliated with the Indians before. Marcelo Zuna of the Marlins. Now, you've seen the Marlins play more than I have. Tell me about Ozuna, Ozuna and what he brings to the field. Well, he brings a heck of a lot of talent. Um, he, he's, he's a guy that the Reds were angling to get last year. They didn't get him. I don't know why, and I don't know who they put up as a trade. 
But, uh, you know, the Marlins got a lot of talent, but they also, uh, you know, they spent a lot of money this year. So I, I was always surprised when I heard they were going to get rid of him. Well, yeah, and is he a right fielder, left fielder? What does he play? He's played uh, the two corner outfields. In fact, I think he even played center for a while, but I think he's a corner outfielder. I, I remember him playing right field. He's got a great arm, and uh, he's got some speed. So, you know, I, I think the um, uh, I think he's going to be a real asset. You know, and and i got to be honest, Puig is a guy that I think I would just as soon stay away from. I know the guy's got a lot of a lot of talent, but just with some of the that I hear out of L.A., he just appears to have a ten-cent head. I saw him play seven games the last week when the Reds played the Dodgers, and uh, he's frighteningly talented. But you're right. I mean, he, he does stuff on the field that I'm really surprised Don Mattingly puts up with. His his play in the outfield is is very amateurish, and you know he he'll catch a ball down by his side with his left hand uh, just because it looks cool. And he's going to drop one of those sometime. It's going to cost the Dodgers a game. Uh, a starting pitcher is going to go ballistic, and that's going to be it. Uh, it. It's amazing how they let this kid come up to the system and get away with that stuff. And, you know, he's only hitting 250, 255. Now, he, he was hurt part of the year this year, but in this league – you hit 250, 255, two or three years in a row, and all of a sudden your value drops off precipitously. And things that were kind of amusing when you're hitting 350 and teams tolerate, they don't tolerate it when you're hitting 250. No, I, I agree with you. Now, let's talk about what has happened to the Dodgers over the last couple of weeks. Jake Arrieta pitched his first career no-hitter last night against the Dodgers, and that's the second time in the last 10 days that they've been no-hit, Mark. The first one was Mike Fires out of Houston, and then last night, Jake Arrieta. You know, you got to kind of wonder if maybe the Dodgers are snake bit or something here with, with no-hitters. Yeah, it's so hard to figure out. You look at that lineup, and they don't have you – know, you know, Jimmy Rollins, I, I think – has helped the team in many ways and leadership and those kinds of things. But the last I saw, he was not hitting very well. I thought he was in the 220-230 range. And you can't have a hole in your lineup like that. Uh, when, you, when you don't have Puig hitting, uh, you, you don't have a lot of guys you know, hitting like they hit last year and certainly like they people anticipated they were going to hit this year. And I was surprised the Dodgers didn't go out and get a bat. Uh, they certainly can afford it, and they've got great pitching. And I would hate to face the Dodgers in a short in a short series. I mean, my gosh, the, the, the first two pitchers they've got uh, are as good as anybody in baseball. But you have you got to hit to get there. And I don't know that the Giants will catch them, but right now, you know, the Dodgers just need more offense. Can you believe how good Arietta? has been through the month of August, though, Mark. He ended up the month with a 6-0 and record and an ERA of 0.43 for the month. Yeah, but, you know, this guy this guy was good two years ago. And I, I remember seeing him pitch against the Reds. He actually got beat. Uh, it was an afternoon game, and the Reds beat him. But, man, he's got electric stuff. He really does. His breaking ball, his slider... Uh, his fastball moves. It, it, it darts away from a right-hand hitter, and he has a he has a. I guess it's a cut fastball. I mean, I saw him pitch, and even though he got beat that day, I, I remember telling a friend of mine who was with me. I said, "Man, that guy, he's got great arm speed. He he knows what he's doing out there." And now, you know, it, it's coming to fruition that this guy is. You know, he's a real ace, and uh, you know the, the the Cubs done good when they got Arietta. Is Arietta the ace of that Cubs staff now, or is it still Lester? I think it's Arietta. Uh, Lester can be hit, and he's not overpowering. He's a great pitcher, and the Cubs are you know lucky to have him. But who would you rather face? Um, in a short in a short series, if you're the say you're the Dodgers. Who would you rather face, Arietta or Lester? 
Oh, definitely. After last night, Lester. Yeah, I mean that's he's moved into that reputation position. Now, does he have the experience of a Lester that you want to risk putting him into uh, a starting, you know, opening up a playoff? I don't know. That, that's going to be up to Joe Madden. But believe me, Joe Madden will not stand on ceremony if he thinks that uh, Arietta is the guy, is his man then, you know, that's the way it's going to be. And he's not afraid to make that move. Uh, John Lester has proved himself in the playoffs more than once. But, you know, for just just stuff, uh, he doesn't have the stuff that Arietta has. No, he doesn't have that. I agree with you. He's been doing a lot on reputation. But did you see what Joe Madden did last night after that after that game? They flew back to Chicago after the game in Los Angeles, and they, they caught the red eye, and they dressed up in their pajamas and flew home. Yeah, that's why I love Joe Madden. I, you know, I told you this last week. The stuff he does, like keeping the players away from the clubhouse uh, until two hours before game time, not letting them come in at you know at noon and take three hours of batting practice and all that stuff. He's not afraid to do that. And he's created a camaraderie, a, a a group of guys who get along, and that's not always been the case in Chicago. And uh, I, I really admire him, and it's I, I wish the Reds could have gotten a guy like could have gotten him. I was going to say a guy like him. There aren't many guys like Joe Madden. No, there aren't. There aren't. Another thing that came out of the Dodger camp last week was Vin Scully is returning for his 66th year as the Dodger announcer. Do you know Mark? Do you remember who he took over for? Red Barber. Red Barber. And, my, and, you know, a lot of people nowadays don't even know who Red Barber was. The old redhead. Uh, he, uh, Red Barber was the, the Dodgers announcer back in the 30s. And uh, you can still see him or hear him actually on, on YouTube. But uh, he, he was a uh, very laconic uh, southern draw. And uh, he, he <laughs> you know, it's funny, look at Vince Scully and he called the 1949 World Series. <laughs> That's hard to believe. I mean, he's, he's been around for a long time. What's he, 85? He's, he'll be 88. 88? 88. Oh, my gosh. Yep, yeah, he will be 88 years old. He turns 88, I think, in just before the season begins. You know, the other thing people may not know, because it, it's it's really not done anywhere else in Major League Baseball, Vin Scully works alone. He doesn't have a color guy. No, he doesn't. He, he does the play-by-play. He does the color. He does the commercials. He does everything. And he's 88 years old. My God. There is not a guy out there, Mark, a play-by-play guy, that can tell a story like Vin Scully during a broadcast. Oh, my God. He's He's... He's older than dirt. He, his history goes back. I mean, he can, he can talk about, you know, meeting Jackie Robinson and, and having dinner with him and meeting Babe Ruth and all this stuff. I mean, this guy goes way back, and it, it's, it's really amazing to hear him do a game because for those of you who don't know what we're talking about, Vin Scully is a guy who Dave just said is 88 years old, 87 years old. If you listen to him, you would not say he's 88 years old. You'd say not at all. You'd say he's 60, 65, 68 years old, maybe. Uh, he's still very lucid, very intelligent. Has a great voice, great delivery. He has seen it all. And when when Vin Scully gets excited about a play, folks, you should go back and replay it because it's exciting. And I, when I lived in L.A., uh, I used to love. I just I wasn't a Dodger fan, but I was such a Vin Scully fan. I'm really glad he's coming back. I, I am too. Now, he won't even admit that next year will be his last year. He's he's not sure yet. But you know, Mark, he's 88 years old, which is almost as old as you and I are combined. Yeah, I mean, you're I'm 30, and you're 60. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Almost. Yeah, yeah. A- anyway, you know a guy that I don't think gets enough accolades? Dick Enberg. Yeah, I like Dick Enberg. He's doing the Padres games, I think. And, uh, yeah, I, I like Dick. I always have liked Dick Enberg. I like play-by-play guys 
who don't get excited about a fly ball to center field. Because some right. of these guys try to make every play into an acrobatic all-star play, and it's not. Uh, and every running catch is the greatest catch they've ever seen. And they, you have to build in baseball. You have to build the momentum, not only of the game, but of your own delivery. You can't be excited about a three-run home run in the third inning and then be more excited in the eighth inning or the ninth inning. You, you, you know, you have to build it up. And it has to, some of these guys just go crazy at the inappropriate time. Uh, and a lot of a lot of announcers fall prey to that, especially the young ones. You know, another announcer that I always enjoyed listening, doing football or baseball, he does football now, but I wish he did more ball. Al Michaels can do just about anything and do it well. You know, people forget that Al Michaels was a Reds announcer. Uh, for, for I know for one year, maybe two, uh, back in the 70s. And, of course, he made that, that famous call of Johnny Bench hitting the home run yep. against the Pirates that tied that game. The Reds went on to win it. Uh, and I think it was 72, actually. 72. And uh, it was off Dave Justy. I think it was the, the two of them a changeup. And yep. Johnny B- and then Bob Moose threw the wild pitch. That's exactly right. But that call, Al Michaels' call, is legendary. But, you know, he's done it all. He's done football, basketball, baseball, and he, he's even done the Olympics. And he, he's, he's one of my favorites. And the thing about it is, you know, Al Michaels left to go to San Francisco to do Giants games. And who took over for Al Michaels in Cincinnati? Marty Brenneman. That's right. And, uh, you know, the Reds announcing core right now is somewhat in turmoil because Marty's uh, Marty's 73, and of course, after talking about Ben Scully, maybe Marty will be around for the next, uh, you know, 30 years. But Marty is is far more acerbic than uh, Ben Scully. Ben Scully is very even keel. I think the players, managers really like him. Not so with Marty Brenneman. Uh, he's burned a lot of bridges, and uh, sometimes I mean, I like Marty. I think he calls a good game. But sometimes he gets on a soapbox, and uh, it, it can be a little, a little much. And um, I think that's hurt him. And the Reds right now don't have – I tell you, I think the, the best announcer the Reds have right now is Chris Welch. I really like his insight. He's smart as hell. He knows the game. I, I think maybe it's my imagination, but sometimes I envision him shaking his head listening to Tom Brenneman sometimes. Tom Brenneman, <laughs> he says things that are so, and he's always got a preamble to what he wants to say. He'll give you three minutes preamble before he says what it is that he's trying to get to. And I, I've met Chris Wells. He's a smart guy, and he really knows the game. And I feel I learn stuff from Chris Welsh that I don't normally learn from other Reds broadcasters, particularly about pitching. He really knows his stuff. Yeah, the Indians, on the other hand, they've got one good announcer. That's Tom Hamilton. Um, Jim Rosenhaus acts like he's talking through a nose guard all of the time. And then you've got Beavis and Butthead on TV in, in Rick Manning and Matt Underwood. And you just you can't get a good, a good fix on what's going on in a ball game when you listen to those guys. But Tom Hamilton, I, I think, does a very, very nice job. The Indians are in the bottom of the ninth inning right now. They lead it now 4-2, to two, and there's nobody out, and Cody Allen is trying to get the four-out save for the Indians. Mark, while we've got a few minutes here, tell me a little bit about what's going on with your movie project, Last at Bat. Well, I've been uh, kind of out of commission for the last 30 days, and, I, and I, I owe a lot of thanks to Linda Jordan, my producer, for keeping the ball rolling. But we're going to jump back into uh, casting and looking for locations and our crowdfunding initiative here in the next two weeks. So in the next two weeks, I'll have a lot more to announce about uh, what we're doing. We're very excited about it, particularly the crowdfunding part of it. And hopefully we can get our movie funded this year and be in production by next spring. Yeah, Linda is an excellent stalker. I mean, uh, assistant. <laughs> I'll make sure she hears that. Linda, I, uh, I'm sure she's listening already. Linda, I did not say you were a stalker. That was Dave I'm, Mitchell. I'm, 
I'm with, I'm watching my phone right now. I'll be getting an email here within 30 seconds. <laughs> but Mark, what? To, let, let's talk just a little bit here as well. We've got got just a couple of minutes about the Reds and what they've got coming up and what they hope to accomplish during this this last month. Tomorrow the the rosters can expand. You've already talked about a couple of players that are going to be coming up. But what are the Reds going to be doing over this next month to try to plan for next year? Well, I think this is an extended tryout. This is this is pre-spring training for a lot of these guys. So while the, the fans look at this and say, oh, there's nothing going on, I tell you, if you're a young player and you're given this opportunity uh, you know, to, to, to pitch and to play, uh, you better take advantage of it. And uh, a lot of guys' careers will be ending here in September, at least with the Reds. So while uh, we may not think it's important, it's terribly important to the careers of some of these young players. And I hope the Reds can get a pitching staff. But, Dave, I'm going I'm to say this every week between now and next year, opening day. I hope the Reds have the guts to step up and make a Raldis Chapman a starter for next year. If they don't, they're insane. The best arm in baseball, maybe in, in a generation or two, he should be starting. And if you start next year with Rocio Iglesias, uh, Aroldis Chapman, Homer Bailey, uh, uh, Lorenzen, um, DeScalhani, that, that's a pretty good pitching staff. But you've got to move Chapman out of the bullpen where he's averaging 50 innings a year. It's a, It's insane. He should be pitching 200 to 250 innings a year. You have plenty of time to stretch him out. And that is what I'm going to harp on between now and opening day because the Reds just have to do that. FYI, it didn't even take her 30 seconds. She just sent an email and said, Mark, you didn't disagree. See, I try to do the right thing, and I'm, I'm surrounded by assassins. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Yeah, you notice you said assassins, not assistants. Okay. Mark, very quickly, Chapman's arm. Any anything new on it? Uh, he had a uh, you know he had a weak shoulder for a couple of days. He came back and last time he pitched I think was what two days ago, and he was still at 103. So that's not an issue. But it, it doesn't do any good to bring in Chapman when you're 30 games out of first place and waste him. Uh, he should be throwing. You know I would use September. To stretch him out now, see how he does. Let him come in for three innings to start a game, uh, four innings. Stretch him out a little bit, uh, but not to use that guy as a starter is just—it's—it's it's asinine. And uh, I, I don't know why somebody at the Reds organization just doesn't say, "Hey, Chapman, you're going to start. If you don't like it, uh, you're a free agent after next year. Have at it." Well, what do the Reds have coming up the rest of this week, Mark? Uh, they've got the Dodgers and they got the Pirates. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, they got the Cubs and the Pirates. Uh, again, these games don't mean anything in the standings, but uh, the Reds could be spoilers. And uh, that's the only thing they have going for them. And, and the fact that uh, we as fans get the opportunity to watch Joey Votto play. Well, as far as the Indians are concerned, they've got the Blue Jays after tonight's game, tomorrow and Wednesday. They're off Thursday. And then they've got the Tigers in Detroit, Friday, Saturday, Sunday afternoon, and then they will be at home for the Chicago White Sox on a Labor Day afternoon game. Don't forget, next Monday is Labor Day, so enjoy it then, and we will be back with you next Monday night with that. Mark, we'll see you again next week. Have a good one, Dave. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Don't forget, you can listen to tonight's show on the archives just simply by checking out on our website, at ultimatesportstalk.com, or you can listen to us on iTunes now. Just simply look up the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show on Ultimate Sports Talk. And don't forget, coming up this Thursday night is the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. We'll be talking to you at 7 o'clock with that show. And we've got football action for you on Friday night coming up here on Ultimate Sports Talk. That will be Ridgewood, Ohio taking on the Waynedale Golden Bears from Apple Creek, Ohio. We'll be on the air at 6 o'clock with Golden Bear Rewind. That is the last 30 minutes of last week's game, which was a victory by Waynedale over Tusky Valley 41-20. to At 6.30 is the PNC Bank pregame show, and at 7 o'clock will be the kickoff of Ridgewood at Waynedale. And then, like I said, next Monday night, 
will be another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. This one, a Labor Day edition. So be sure to join Mark and I then. Our thanks to Joe Koblitz tonight from BurningRiverBaseball.com for being our guest. His Twitter address is at BRBblog. And our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing our show, to Linda Jordan for sending in some uh, very pertinent emails, and to Mark Donahue. But most of all, our thanks go out to you for listening. Until next Monday night at 9, I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Have a good week, everybody. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter, the barber, and the nuke. They knew them all from Boston to Dubuque, especially Willie, Mickey, and the Duke.